Welcome to the Life Church Podcast. Our desire is to help people understand God's intention for their life. We hope wherever you're listening, you are blessed by this week's message. everybody welcome to life church yes come on put your hands together if you're excited about being part of this broadcast it's an amazing sunday i'm excited you're excited i know you are jesus is here it's a great day and i'm so excited to be going into week two of our uh journey into the book of philippians if you uh, are catching up with us uh, for the first time uh last week we started a new series on the book of philippians and i love this kind of teaching because this allows me to go line by line verse by verse and stick with one particular passage so this week i'm going to be focusing on philippians chapter 2. but just to give a quick recap last week we saw how philippians or the i would say the apostle paul in the book of philippians is really emphasizing joy He's emphasizing the, the, the gospel that gives him joy, and that's his anchor. And we see some of the things that he goes through, some of the tough times, some of the difficulties that he is facing, but yet he's not moved by any of that. And I want to tell you today, you don't have to be moved by the things that are trying to move you. You don't have to be moved by the circumstances, the challenges, the unideal things that you may be facing. You don't have to be moved if... The gospel is anchoring your soul. The gospel is the power of God. The gospel is the source of hope. The gospel is your why. It should be your why. It should be the thing that you look at or look through as far as seeing the world that you live in. And that should be your lens by which you allow your hope to rest in. And so I want you to know right now, you are a joyful person. I'm speaking that over you. You are a joyful person. You're going to walk in the spirit of joy right where you are. If you're watching us through YouTube or Facebook, you can just type in the comments, I am a joyful person. Speak that over your life. I'm anchored in the gospel. I'm anchored in the hope of Jesus Christ. None of these things move me. Whatever those things, whatever these things, whatever uh, relates to you in your, in your situation, you need to make that a personal declaration. None of these things move me. I'm joyful. I'm strong in the Lord. I'm strong in the might of his power. Glory to God. I know I am. Listen, you know, I'm just like you. You know, even though I'm a pastor, I face challenges. I face things. I face things that try to weigh me down. Oh, yeah, you better believe I do. I have responsibilities just like you. And what do I do? I have to remind myself of who I am in Christ. I have to remind myself often of what's my why. What's my purpose? What has God called me to? Why should I forge ahead? Why should I push forward? Why should I not quit? These are some questions that you have to sometimes ask yourself and then answer. And here's the answer. Because the gospel, the gospel gives me hope. The gospel gives me joy. The gospel gives me a way forward. And that is true for you as well. And so that's what Paul is talking about in the first chapter of Philippians. He's like, look, I can look at a lot of things that can give me reasons to complain and to be sad and to hang my head down. 
But I'm not looking at those things. I'm actually looking at the upside of it. I'm looking at the fact that the gospel is moving forward. Even though I'm in jail, and that's where Paul was when he wrote this book, even though things are not great, even though I'm not a free man per se, the gospel is free. The gospel is moving forward. The gospel is changing lives even in the prison which I'm shackled in. That's an amazing way of looking at life. And so I want you to know whatever you're facing, whatever you are going through, whatever you're thinking about, the gospel is the answer. So really lock in on that. And so in chapter two, I like uh, verse one. He says, therefore, if there is any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the spirit, if any affection and mercy, he's, he's begging, if you would. He's, he's pleading with the people of Philippians. He's like, guys, if, if you have any of these things, I want you to fulfill my joy by being like-minded. Notice the things, again, that causes Paul to be filled with joy. Notice the things that, that really anchor him. It's the things that are centered around the gospel. It's the things that are surrounded around the will of God. He's like, you know, look, if you want to fulfill my joy, you know, send me more money. You know, I'm sure he, he appreciated the money because they did, they did support him financially, but that's not what fulfilled his joy. He could have said, you know what, if you want to fulfill my joy, just write me some letters. Tell me how much, uh, tell me how awesome I am. You know, I'm sure that would have made him smile, but that's not what fulfilled his joy. What, what fulfilled his joy? What was the thing that anchored Paul? He said again, fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord and of one mind. Paul, the apostle Paul, had a passion for the church. He wanted to see the church strong. And I want to ask you, do you care about the local church? I know you do, but I want you to think how deeply is your love for the local church? Because there's some people who look at church like, ah, you know, it's cool. I like it. I'm glad it's there. Whenever I need it, I'll, I'll kind of participate. And yet there's another level you can go in. There's a level where your prayers are now centered around the advancement of the local church. Here's one prayer you can pray. Lord, make the church strong. Make the church strong. Make the church a beacon of light. Cause the church to go forward. Cause it to impact its community. Lord, cause it to grow. Cause it to grow in strength. Cause it to grow in numbers. Cause it to grow in influence. You see, when you have a passion for something, you pray about it. I'm sure you have a passion for your money, you have a passion for your career, you have a passion for your education, your family, your love life, whatever it is that you are passionate about, I'm pretty sure you pray about it, right? Those are the things that your joy could be anchored on, right? But here's the question, do you pray about the local church? Is that something that's on your heart? I mean like regularly. I'll be honest with you, as a pastor, that's on my heart. I want to see the local church grow. But it's not just because I'm a pastor. I believe that it's because I truly have a heart to see people reached for Jesus. Before I was a pastor, before I was in ministry, that was my prayer. Lord, use me. How can I be used to help the church grow? How can I be used to further the gospel? You know, and the more I gave my life to these things, the more I passionately served people, the more I passionately reached out to people for Jesus, the greater the joy I had in life. You know what, really, the, center theme, the, the central theme of this particular chapter, Philippians 2, is really serving. So we're going to really talk a lot about serving. And Paul was one who served. And you'll see some of the words that he used. He, he prided himself in giving of himself. That was the call of his ministry. That's the call of all of our lives, is to serve. 
Jesus said, I didn't come to, uh, uh, to be served. I came to serve, right? And, and he also said it this way. Whoever wants to be the greatest among you, let him be the servant of all. And so if you want to win in life, I'm going to give you a key secret. You have to adopt a passionate drive for serving, for giving of yourself. And so for the rest of this chapter, you're going to see a lot of these themes. It's going to talk about serving. And you're going to see that that's the key to winning in life. All right. So he says, fulfill my joy, being like minded, having the same love, being of one accord and of one mind. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit. Why does he have to say this? Why is this important to stress? Well, it's, it should be clear because some people are ambitious and their ambition is self-centered. It's really about their come up, their name shining. It's about them self-actualizing. It's about them becoming great, them being glorified. People saying, wow, look at her. Wow, look at him. And he's like, look, I have no problem with you being ambitious. I have no problem with you having drive and just being about your grind. But let it not be rooted in yourself. Let no one or let nothing be done out of selfish ambition. And if you're going to serve, if you're going to be a great servant of all, if you're going to win through serving, you have to realize that your ambition cannot be rooted in your own namesake. That has to be the very foundation by which you serve, that I am not serving selfishly because you can serve selfishly. You can serve and you can look like you're, 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 you're serving and caring, but it's all about your come up. It's all about, you know, this is just another, another stepping stone, another key to the next level, another key to my breakthrough. No, 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 no. You got to live this life, this walk with God as a way of saying, I am here to passionately and selflessly serve. So he says, let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in loneliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. That's a radical thing right there. Let each, think about what he just said, let each esteem others better than himself or prefer others before yourself. Give others preferential treatment. I mean, think about that. And that seems kind of radical because we live in a world, we live in a culture in a time where you are number one. Your needs are number one. What matters to you, that's number one. You come first, serve yourself first. Make sure you're good. Make sure you're great. Make sure you're taken care of. But here the Apostle Paul says something radically different than that. He says, nah, in fact, I want you to esteem others better than yourself. Now, before you say, I can't receive that, that's too much for me, I'm afraid I'll be taken advantage of. This is not saying that you should neglect yourself. This is not saying that you shouldn't care for yourself. But he actually goes a little deeper and he explains exactly what he means. He says, let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interest of others. And that's the key thing. It's balance. Yeah, you should look out for your interests. Absolutely. You should care about where you're going in life. You should sometimes focus on your, your, your well-being, your health, and the, 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 the wholeness of your life and your family. But don't be self-absorbed. Don't look out for your own interests and you forget. You forget about others. And let me give you a key secret. Sometimes, many times, not even just sometimes, many times, the key to your breakthrough is in you serving others. The key in you coming up into the things that you want to see God do for you is you putting that less than 
or, or, or making that secondary, if you would, to helping someone else. Many times, this is the key to winning. It's serving, serving others. So you feel down? Who else feels down? Maybe I can help pick them up, right? Maybe you're struggling with something, Lord. Who else is struggling? Maybe I can help alleviate their struggle, you know? Maybe some things are not perfect in your family. Lord, how can you use me to not only pray for my family, but how can I pray for others who are probably going through something similar? If you have a heart to serve people, you will win in life. I'm declaring over you today, this is your winning season in Jesus' name. This is a time to serve, especially with everything that's going on in the world. I want you to start praying, Lord, how can I serve? How can I serve? You may not be, you know, when it comes to church, you know, sometimes people look at serving just like, uh, you know, you know, usher, a uh, singer, a preacher, or or someone who works with children. Uh, but no, th th there's so much more than that. There's so much more you can do than just that. There is ways that you can serve outside of the building, right? But you have to have a heart to serve. That has to be your prayer. Lord, use me to serve people. Show me how I can be of, of assistance. How, how can I leverage the power of God in my life to advance the kingdom of God in Jesus' name? And so moving on, verse 5, he says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ. This is how Jesus thought, who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. Meaning, this, is, this wasn't Jesus' main mission to come on earth and to demonstrate himself as God and to show all his deity and all, and all of his uh, divine attributes. Yes, he was God, but he had another agenda, and his agenda was to come as a man and take on the human frailties and limitations of the human experience. This is why he could get tired. This is why he could be hungry. This is why he didn't know all things at every single time. He wasn't omnipresent. He understood what it was to be a human being. Yes, he was anointed with the Holy Spirit with power. Yes, he had the spirit without measure. Yes, he was God, but he also took on human limitations. These things may be difficult to fully grasp with your mind, but you got to perceive it with your spirit. God was God on earth, and he was also man, fully God, fully man, and he took on human frailties. Why? He took on the form of a servant. Look at what it says, verse 6, who, being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking on the form of a servant and coming in the likeness of men and being found in the appearance as a man. He humbled himself. He humbled himself. Come on, write that down. He humbled himself. He humbled himself. That means... I heard it said this way, and I think it's so powerful. It is your job to humble yourself, and it is God's job to exalt you, right? If you do God's job in exalting yourself, God will do your job in humbling you, right? It is your job to humble yourself. It is your job to say, I'm going to put my flesh down. It is your job to say, I'm going to deny myself this. It is your job to walk in love. Sometimes we pray and we're like, Lord, take it away. Lord, make me not. Lord, just do this. 
And there's a time where God will, of course, help you. He's always there to help you. That's not a question. But there's a responsibility you have. And that responsibility is to humble yourself to the will of God. So if you feel your flesh is kicking and screaming and you're like, I don't want to go this direction. I don't want to do what God has called me to do. You got to stop and say, well, 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 I have Jesus as an example. He humbled himself and so will I. And I say, yes, Lord, when you say, I will obey. Whatever you say, the answer is yes. This is what Jesus had to do. He humbled himself and became, and this is amazing, he became obedient to the point of death. That means there were many points to the point, there were many points in his ministry where he was obedient. Many times I believe his flesh would have or had the occasion to say, I don't want to do that, but he obeyed. But he obeyed, but he obeyed. How often did he obey? All the time, even to the point of death, to the very last breath of his life, he was obedient. To the very last breath. In other words, he didn't say, you know what? I followed God's plan for, for, for X amount of time. I did this, I did that, I did this. You know, I deserve a little break. Let, let, let me just kind of like go off the, the, the path for a little bit. You know, God, God sees that I did this, I did that. Let, let me not, you know, go all the way in this time. I deserve a little bit of indulgence in this. No, to the point of death. To the point of death, he humbled himself. Come on. Think about that. Even the death of the cross. So what happened? Let me just recap what we just read. He added to himself the limitations of humanity. He became a servant. He humbled himself and he obeyed even to the point of death. This is why the Bible says that he has been exalted. Look at verse 9. Therefore God exalted him, highly exalted him, and given him the name which is above every name. There is exaltation on the other side of your obedience. You may say, I don't want to obey God. I want to do my own thing. I want to live in my, in, in my, own, my own will. You know, I, I want to do what I feel is right. Well... If you live like that, you're going to live a humbled life. Not a humble life, a humbled. You're going to be humbled. You're going to be put down. You're going to experience difficulty, frustrations, needless heartaches and pain. But if you choose to humble yourself to the will of God, here's the promise. Just as Jesus was exalted, so will you be. I'm speaking exaltation over your life. I know sometimes you may have to walk away from some things. I know there may be some times where you may not want to go forward. You may want to you, you may want to uh, uh, lash out and you don't want to walk in love and you don't want to uh, uh, demonstrate the God kind of love to your loved ones. Maybe you don't want to forgive someone who's hurt you. Maybe you want to have a hard exterior towards them. Maybe you want to act in a vengeful manner. I get it. But let me tell you something. There is glory on the other side of your obedience. There is exaltation on the other side of your obedience. If you obey God, this is your destiny, exaltation. And I'm speaking that over your life in the name of Jesus. God exalted him and given him the name that is above every name. Verse 10, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of those in heaven, of those on earth, and of those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Work out your salvation 
with fear and trembling. What does that mean? That means look at, look at this salvation that you have, this precious gift that you've been given through Jesus Christ. Work it out. Live like you follow Jesus. Live like he's done something in your life. Honor him by following the plan of God for your life. Work it out with fear, with honor, with reverence. In other words, don't live your life casually. Don't live your life as if, you know, you have time to waste. Don't live your life as if it doesn't make a difference. It doesn't matter. No, live your life with fear and trembling. Not fear as far as trepidation. Oh, my God, I'm gonna, I mean, God's going to strike me down. I'm, I'm scared. Not that kind of fear, but a fear that speaks of reverence, a fear that speaks of honor towards the Lord. This is what God is calling us to. This is how we live in service in the kingdom of God. This is what your destiny is. You may say, I want to know my call. I want to know my destiny. I want to know what God has called me to do. Well, listen, before you know all the details of your call, you need to know this. You need to have a heart that says, I'm available to serve. I'm available to humble myself. I'm available to obey. I'm available to give of myself. And if that's your heart, if that's your posture, you will not only be exalted, but you'll be working out your salvation with fear and with trembling. I believe that that's your portion today in the name of Jesus. Verse 13, we said this last week. It says, for it is God who works in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Come on, I want to remind you once more, God is working in you, not just so that you do what he's called you to do, but that you desire it. You know, this is the good news. You don't have to do the will of God, and it's, it's a drudgery. It's a sad thing. You know, it's, oh, okay, fine, God, I'll do it. No, you don't have to live your life like that. You can do the will of God, and it can be something that you enjoy. You can finish your course with joy. You can finish your race with joy. You can want to do it. I remember there was a time where I didn't want to be in ministry, right? I didn't, that was not my desire. I wanted to do something completely different. And then I got to a point where I said, okay, Lord, if you've called me to this, my answer to you is yes. I'm no longer going to say no. I'm no longer going to deny or delay or, or go kicking and screaming. I'm going to say yes. And do you know that that is now my heart's desire? I don't want to do anything else but what I'm doing now. Why? It is him who has worked in me both to will and to do of his good pleasure. The same is true for you. Whatever God has called you to do, you're going to will to do it. You're going to want to do it. And you're going to do it. Amen. So in verse 14, he says, do all things without complaining and disputing. That's a big one. <laughs> all right, God, I'll do it. But I'm going to complain about it. I'll serve, but I'll murmur about it. No, no, no. Do all things without complaining and murmuring, without disputing. You know, I'll be honest. This is something that the Lord has to sometimes remind me of. You know, when I'm working through things and there are challenges and there are things that don't go my way, you know, it's a temptation of mine for me to begin to murmur. You know, I'm not a big complainer at all, but I realize there's a difference between complaining and murmuring. Murmuring is that muttering underneath your breath, that just constant thinking about, oh, what you're not happy about, just kind of frustrating, you know, frust little frustrating complaints that, that are said underneath your breath or even in your heart. God is like, nah, I see that, and I want you to put that away, you know, and he has challenged me with that, and I believe he may be challenging you with that as well, put away murmuring. So whatever it is, whether you're a mom, whether you're a single mom, a single dad, whether you're a married dad, married, mo uh, married mom, it don't make a difference. You have kids, you have no kids, you're single, you know, you're dating, w whether you are working, you're unemployed, no matter what your status is, you're young, you're old, you have a lot of money, you have little money, guess what? 
Do all things without murmuring. <laughs> you know what you can do instead of murmuring? You can give thanks. Hallelujah. Give thanks. Glory to God. Verse 15, that you may become blameless and harmless, children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast the word of life so that I may rejoice. There's that word again. So that I may rejoice in the day of Christ that I have not run in vain or labored in vain. Again, what is Paul's joy? It's centered around the will of God. It's centered around the people of God being anchored in the gospel. That's his joy. My question to you is, is that your joy? Because if that is, you are going to be a joyful person. Why? Because the gospel is going forward. The gospel is advancing. Of the increase of his government, there will be no end. The will of God is spreading. I know it looks bad out there. I know the, the economies may be struggling. People may be unemployed. We're concerned about COVID-19 and all the things that we can look at. We see the civil unrest. We see the injustices. We see the poverty. We see a whole bunch of things. But I want you to see this as well. The gospel is still going forward. People are still saying yes to Jesus. People are still repenting. People are still being uh, uh, convicted of their sin. They're still coming to Christ. People are still being healed supernaturally. Prophetic words are still going forward. Miracles are still happening. Is that your joy? All right, yeah, we got some things we got to work on. Yeah, we got some things that we got to put our hands to. But where is your joy? What does it lie in? If it lies in the kingdom of God, if it lies in the advancement of the gospel, you will be a joyful person. That's where Paul was. Glory to God. Let me wrap this up. Yeah, verse 16, holding fast the word of life so that I may rejoice in the day of Christ that I have not run in vain or labored in vain. Verse 17, yes, and if I, yes, and if I am being poured out as a drink offering. Notice the words here, I'm being poured out as a drink offering. That's what he saw his life as, a drink offering. And if you see in the book of Leviticus and the Old Testament in particular, you'll see that there were many kinds of offerings. One of the offerings was a drink offering where they would pour wine. They would pour water sometimes. And it was a way of demonstrating sacrifice. And he says, listen, I'm like that sacrifice in that cup. I'm being poured out on the altar. I'm being poured out in service to, to the Lord Jesus Christ. He says, and if I'm being poured out as a drink offering on the sacrifice and service of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. <laughs> Think about that again. That's where his joy is. I'm glad. I'm glad that I get the opportunity to serve. So if you're an usher, if you're a singer, if you're a dancer, if you're a writer, if you serve, if you are, if you, if you, if you evangelize, if you love to preach the gospel, if you're an evangelistic team, whatever you do in a local house setting or outside the church. Maybe you're a life group leader. Maybe you just love to pray for people. He says, listen, I'm rejoicing in that. It is my joy that I get to serve. I'm being poured out as a drink offering, and this is where my joy lies. Is that where your joy lies? And if it's not, this is an opportunity to pray for that. Lord, I want my joy to lie in serving your people. May my heart be anchored in this privilege. May my heart be anchored in this honor, in the name of Jesus. Come on, let me wrap this up really quick. I'm running out of time. He, he, he speaks of sending Timothy, his spiritual son, to the church of Philippi 
Uh, so I'll go down to verse 20. He says, for I have no one like-minded who will sincerely care for your state. For all seek their own, not the things which are of Christ Jesus. Isn't that a sad case that even in that time, Paul was able to recognize that there's a lot of people out there that are doing their own thing. They're not really caring about the sheep, the people of God. But he says, but you know what? My son Timothy in the faith, he's like-minded. He has my heart. He serves the way I serve. So I'm sending him to you so he can know how you're doing. He can report back to me. And this is going to cause joy, right? And so verse 22, but you know his proven character, that as a son with his father, he served with me in the gospel. Therefore, I hope to send them at once as soon as I see how it goes with me. But I trust in the Lord that I myself shall come shortly. Yet I considered it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus. This is another one who served like with all of his heart. Epaphroditus. Let's look at Epaphroditus as I wrap up. My brother, fellow worker and fellow soldier, but your messenger and the one who ministered to my need, since he was longing for you all and was distressed because you had heard that he was sick. For indeed he was sick, almost unto death, but God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore I sent him to you more eagerly, that when you see him again, you may rejoice and may be less sorrowful. And this is the last two verses I want you to pay close attention to. Verse 29, receive him therefore in the Lord with all godliness and hold such men in esteem. You should hold people in esteem that serve people even to the point where their physical bodies are being neglected. Now, that's not a good thing. I'm not saying that you should neglect your health. That's not what I'm saying at all. That's not what Epaphroditus should have done. But Paul was like, look at his heart. His desire was to serve so bad that he even neglected taking care of his own health. Thank God God had mercy on him and healed him because that's what the will of God is for him to be healed. But you should hold people like that in esteem. You should pray for people who, who are always available to pray for you. You should, you, you should be praying for your prayer team. Yeah, those in Life Church, I want you to pray for our prayer team who serve you, who pray for you. You should pray for your spiritual leaders, for your life group leaders. You should serve for your team leaders. You should pray for your team leaders. You should serve these people and pray for them because they are constantly being poured out as a drink offering. Because of the work of Christ, he came close to death, not regarding his life to supply what was lacking in your service toward me. Man, my time is running out. <laughs> I have just a few seconds. But I just want to let you know, this is the way you win, by serving. Let me lead you into a prayer of salvation if you don't know Jesus. Would you pray with me? I'm speaking to those who have never received Christ. Say this. Say, Father, today I receive your son Jesus as my Lord and Savior. I repent of my sin. Take me as your own. I receive you today. Amen. Amen. Listen, if you've prayed that for the first time, you are a child of God. Hang on for just a few seconds. I want to share with you how you grow from this point forward. God bless you. If God is changing your life through this ministry, join us in reaching others by partnering with us today. You can give through our website at www.nylifechurch.com and click on the gift tab. Thank you for listening and remember to subscribe to enjoy more messages like this. Go and live a purpose-driven life.